Hello, and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security engineering and related topics. I'm your host, Sean Faulkner. Today, I'm joined by Jimmy Fong, Chief Commercial Officer at Sion, and we'll be talking about fighting online fraud. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Hey, Sean. Great to be here. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Maybe we could start things off with an introduction. You know, who are you? What do you do? And how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I guess I've, been, I've had the fortune stroke, uh, odd circumstance ever since university uh, to be in uh, this particular field of tech. So early stage kind of fraud technology um, and online payments. And, and that was really shown um, all the way back at the last uh, financial crisis in 2008, like post-university uh, and by luck, uh, you know, via a mutual friend who worked at a, at a startup um, that, that became really successful and was eventually acquired by Visa. So that gave me like a front row seat at the kind of beginning and boom of like online commerce and back at the last financial crisis when start uh, things really ramped up and people started to do more and more digital business uh, online. Um, since then, I guess two other adventures. Um, so similar sort of space, fraud and risk tech. Um, one uh, acquired by Ingenical Payment Services, so very large global point of sale terminal uh, manufacturer. And then laterally with um, a, a, a startup out of Venice Beach uh, on the West Coast, um, and then was acquired by American Express. Um, so I, I land today at uh, Seon. I joined uh, the, the young co-founders uh, about three and a half years ago um, when we were back at Seed Stage. Um, I was their first non-Hungarian teammate, uh, situated out of uh, uh, rainy London, and um, yeah, helping the team grow to where we are today at um, just post Series B, about 220 teammates, uh, global, um, and helping cool brands around the world fight online fraud. Yeah, it's amazing. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like you've found a niche around fraud, which is probably a good, you know, uh, career path to choose because I don't think online fraud is going anywhere anytime soon. So you have some uh, baked in sort of career uh, uh, safety with, with the choices that you made. <laughs> it, it was a it was a mega strange dynamic. Um, obviously, 2008 was very scary for the, for all of us that recall it, and especially if you're coming out of university around that sort of time with you know a proper a proper financial meltdown around then, right? So so I had lots of my um, uni pals and friends and and kind of new teammates kind of in roles where there was definitely a sense of danger to kind of you know what what their career journey was going to be like, but. I guess the space I found my myself in was really, really weird because it was like the one booming sector where everything else was tanking. Um, you know, online kind of commerce and online business was, uh, you know, it, it, it was it was like accelerated at that time. And so anyone in that kind of small segment back then uh, of online payments, online kind of fraud, um, I guess got caught caught up in it and and. Yeah, it was it was a privilege to have like a lot of those lessons learned, especially with some of those iconic brands back then, um, to to kind of what crafty fraudsters were doing. But but you're right, it's it's one of those. If we zoom out like macro wise, um, anti fraud or fraud detection, uh, and cybersecurity as a whole is one of those defensive areas, right? Uh, in stocks, um, so as the economy kind of. Uh, takes a bit of a hit, a beating. Um, uh, cyclical stocks like uh, security and, and, and cyber and fraud detection um, are, in fact, um, are in ever greater demands. Um, you know, as a result of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And so I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm excited to get into the conversation today for a couple of reasons. You know, when I first stepped into the role that I'm in now, one of the big things I had to deal with was a really challenging fraud issue. And that's actually how I learned about Sion. And I was so impressed with the product that I had reached out because I had to have you guys on the show. And you're actually the first vendor where I'm a customer that I've had as a guest on the show. So I, I think that says something. I, I don't know. It says something about me or it says something about Sion. But I think uh, I, I'd like to say that it says something about the quality of the product. And maybe just to set some some context for those that are not super familiar with the the space of online fraud, you know, how does online fraud work and why is it such a concern for online businesses and consumers today as you know, it's basically as much of a concern today as it has been for the last, you know, 20 years. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so there's kind of two, two main areas that what we obsess over as, as a tech scale up ourselves. And um, th those two areas are number one around um, who you're doing business with online. Um, so if you're any type of online business and you've got a transactional component, you're trying to uh, board a net new customer um, uh, online, you, you have very little data points to work with. Those are classically like an email address that you ask of that you know, new user uh, and or a phone number. Um, what what Seon does uh, on kind of one end is we, we take that data point like an email or phone number and we enrich it with uh, what we call a digital footprint. So our hypothesis as a scale up is pretty simple. It's that we reckon most good people online, um, you know, maybe myself, maybe like yourself, we, we associate that email or phone to other things online. So for instance, uh, you may associate Sean Faulkner at gmail.com to um, things like your Insta account, your LinkedIn account, your Facebook account, your Twitter account, um, and about you know 60 other services is what we look at. And that's generally speaking what good people look like and, and what good customers you know that you know that look like nowadays. The, the converse is totally true too. If you're a um, a fraudster, if you have someone or you're someone that has, um, you know, a, a nefarious intent uh, to go board a platform, pretty easy to create an email or phone number and pretty easy to do that at reasonable scale. You can script these things, you can create a bunch of them quickly and you can try and attack like an infra, but um, you generally don't recreate the digital footprint to go alongside it. Um, and, and that's what Seance technology kind of on the onboarding level kind of helps with um, and what we've heard um, Sean from customers that use us um, what they really like is it's totally invisible so you're not affecting things from like a marketing or top of the funnel churn so this is typically implemented before like identity checks or uh, know your customer checks um, and it's really done at form fill so, so it's, it's really invisible that, that's the, the first bit of what we do um, the, the second bit of what we do is once someone's actually interacting with your platform, um, say you're uh, I don't know, a neobank or a crypto platform or a trading platform, then um, there's different um, there's different interaction points and um, whether you log in, whether you conduct something of risk, like you add a new payment method, you might withdraw some funds from from that platform. And um, you can run say on at each of those points. And, and what we do is we we look at, thousands uh you know of data points to do that interaction and we apply our own ml machine learning to it and we 
we basically spit out, hey, this looks sketchy. You should stop it right there, um, or you should at least challenge it uh, right there. So, so if you like, we're automating the business of um, what looks really weird uh, and abnormal uh, to help a business make sure they're they're a boarding good quality people onto their platform, and b that they that they remain good quality and they don't turn into sketchy actors. Mm-hmm. Now. What you said about sort of the, you know, digital or social footprint, that makes a ton of sense. Like a real person is probably going to have a lot of history with a variety of different, you know, platforms, whether that's, you know, Twitter, Instagram, and, you know, the the whole gambit of them. Is that something that is, if fraudsters kind of were keyed into, they would be able to fake or is it just too much work and effort to actually do it? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And actually, it's one of the design things when we were... Um, a little bit of a side story <laughs> to this, um, it, almost the design of kind of selling as a startup and, and a scale-up and our go-to-market. And um, we, we tried to very deliberately um, build the product differently from, say, the very saturated space we're in. And one of the design challenges we were actually trying to solve is there, there was actually a, a, a good amount of decent risk tech out there um, in the market. There, there really is. But one of the things that's hard is for for someone with an actual problem um, to go and experience tech that helps solve that business problem. And, and if you like, a lot of how sales go to market, you can you can see it when you go on Seon.io, and I think you alluded to it a little bit, uh, Sean, uh, earlier in the uh, you know in your show, is we've tried to make the product front facing completely so that people can experience that um, light bulb moment for themselves, if you like. Um, so so. Uh, when you ask the question, hey, um, it, you know, if, if fraudsters know that a digital footprint might be what Salem's looking at, that, that's fine. In fact, it's actually been part of our design to put everything quite open, <laughs> which is very weird in our space of security, right? Most of, and in cyber, it's really the opposite. It's, it's quite black box to how the actual technology works. We've gone the opposite. So, so if someone goes on Salem.io, you can look at our, our uh, public-facing API references so you can validate, hey, this is what Salem's looking at. The, I, the And the takeaway from that is there's lots and lots and lots and lots of data points we're looking at. Um, and what we've seen again and again, because we're not hiding it, we think the the greater good of, of serving more online business very quickly with very effective tech far outweighs the chances of, say, um, uh, particularly uh, in the no fraudsters of understanding particular technology um, kind of tactics uh, to use. So um, what we've definitely found again and again, though, is, hey, you you as a fraudster might know that to, you have to recreate a digital footprint. That's fine. Um, but really what our tech does is it's able to, it, we're seeing people don't recreate digital footprints at scale. And it's partly two things. It's the, the economics of it. Um, they don't. They don't need to. <laughs> it's uh, the other side of things as well. They 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 can attack literally thousands of other businesses which don't screen for things like digital footprints uh, as well. So you've got kind of those two motivators, right? One is um, uh, the, eco- the the economics of it don't really add up to create these footprints, and then two, um, just they they don't even need the option. They can be lazy as a fraudster and target you know thousands of uh, companies out there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. It's not, for the most part, I imagine these types of attacks, similar to like, you know, smashing into a car and stealing whatever's in it. It's not necessarily a targeted attack. You're basically going with whatever has the least resistance. And then I'm going to take advantage of those. And if something has some 
level of resistance, well, it's not really worth it because there's, like you said, thousands of other easy targets that I could just go after. Yeah, and it's a real learning from us diving into the world of kind of the mindset of a fraudster um, and some of the psychology. I remember on like a show before where we were talking about how, how um, fraudsters, professional fraudsters, criminal organizations uh, target. And, you know, there might have been the expected, oh, we're after, you know, neobanks or challenger banks or where the, or we're following where the money is. But the answer was actually a lot more indiscriminate. <laughs> it was, it was, hey, we spray and pray and it works. It works really well. And it still works in 2023 really well. So, it's it, you know, it's not like um, us, maybe like you guys as a B2B SaaS organization with a very deliberate marketing strategy and segmentation. Nothing like that, right? <laughs> There's lots of high value targets that they can go after. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's like spam. You know, spam is still out there, still exists. Somebody's making money off of it, still out there, still existing, essentially. Yeah, for sure. So you also mentioned that CLN takes into account like patterns of behavior and there's some machine learning going on behind the scenes. So I imagine the sort of pattern of behavior when someone's you know, fraudulently interacting with any software is going to be a little bit different than what a, a normal person might be doing. They might be, you know, copying, pasting more. They might, you know, bounce off pages faster or, you know, click through things faster. Are, is that the types of signals that are taken into account in this machine learning sort of pattern recognition approach? Yeah, behavior is important for sure. Um, I would I would actually um, look at it slightly different. I'd zoom out even like a couple of couple levels ahead of that. Um, so I think what we've seen be successful for many of our customers, and they really range from like all types of industry, uh, whether they are a neobank like Revolut, um, or, or they are an airline like uh, KLM, the, the Royal Dutch airline, um, or, or a social platform like Patreon. Um, the, the kind of most effective use of our tech, kind of think of it as almost like a net approach. Um, so the idea being is, um, that a fraudster may be able to understand, okay, okay, they are looking at how my mouse cursor moves, so thus I can't run a script which looks a bit inhuman by flicking from one button to another in such an efficient and smooth you know, way that probably is going to say it's a script. That That's one kind of like little light bulb moment, but really um, what Seon uh, and kind of our recommended approach to kind of uh, online fraud detection is is around looking at a very holistic or net approach. So it's trying to catch everything from uh, uh, what, what we call the customer lifecycle. So literally when someone registers, so when they land on a site for the first time, how do they start looking? Um, indeed to how, how their digital footprint may look, to whether they log in, and you know what? You know where are they logging from? What's the IP address? Are they using any kind of proxies? Are they using any kind of um, uh, VPNs? Are they accessing via a Tor node, for instance? Through to what are they doing? You know the what are they doing? And one little bit of that subset is the behavioral. Um, so you know, and some of the examples you gave are really good examples there. But maybe it's also the type of product or service. And they're interacting with some are definitely going to be more risky than others from say the merchant's point of view and um, so you want to take a, um, a, a a more granular approach to kind of how they're interacting what they're interacting with uh, through to uh, things like what are the exit points you know so if you're a crypto platform you can withdraw if you're a gambling platform you can certainly withdraw to certain payment methods um, so the, the, the kind of idea is only by fully looking 
at a complete life cycle of that interaction, all the way from beginning right through to the potential of offboarding, um, do, do we see that the most effective kind of fraud fighting uh, begins? And, and and that's what we mean by a net approach. So it's using a number of different, you know, if you like, technologies, whether it's device intelligence, be able to spot, hey, that iPhone you're using, Sean, for the last six months, uh, has suddenly changed to an Android device with a weird font pack. That's unusual. Um, and the idea being is, like fraudsters, um, they're, they're becoming ever more cunning and sophisticated and technically apt as well. They might be able to mask or hide certain bits here and there, but the idea, you know, where, where we've seen kind of uh, uh, our customers with the most effective kind of strategies is they're applying a more holistic kind of net approach being uh, they're able to kind of trip um, kind of a, a professional fraudster up in, in one of those those ways there. I see. And then I imagine, you know, even things like, uh, you know, running a really old version of Android or something like that would be, you know, a clear signal that it's probably not a, a normal behavior, especially if it's like B2B SaaS uh, company that is targeting, you know, North America or westernized uh, nations where most of those business people are probably going to have a fairly up-to-date uh, smartphone. Yeah, it's spot on. Um, you know, and, and that's... and then we, it, yeah, we, we can go quite nerdy into kind of the low level stuff of like what you know what we look at there. But yeah, that definitely looking at things like the instances. But guess what? That um, low level kind of um, replicated device is perfect for someone you know running a script right and attacking stuff like at velocity. Um, so um, it, indeed, that would be you know an example of an inconsistency that we're able to spot for sure. Mm-hmm. And then what are the types of you know vulnerabilities in online systems that these fraudsters are typically trying to you know take advantage of and what is the ultimate goal for the the fraud yeah um so so different i would say different um uh, topologies per vertical of course um uh, and and we you know despite you know, the comment made about how indiscriminate some online fraudsters are, there are definitely subject matter experts in, in uh, say, uh, attacking kind of um, online banks or attacking, say, the travel industry, uh, stroke attacking, uh, say, video game industry as well, um, and, and, you know, reselling and re, re um, uh, and repurposing kind of virtual currency. So there are definitely specialities for, for all the different sectors. Um, I, I think, I think, uh, it's really two things, though. It's really two things. One is typically how can we get into a platform uh, is kind of the first thing from a fraudster's point of view. And there's lots and many ways on how to do that. Um, that that's one. So how do you get access? And then two, once you've got access, how do you take anything of value out of it? And and it has some form of secondary market. Um, what we're seeing a lot nowadays is, you know, fraudsters are, you know, they're, they're humans just like me and you. And so they're smart and they're keeping up to date and they understand as people start deploying machine learning models like, you know, what we have at Seon, um, that they need to uh, start behaving in semi-legitimate ways. So we're seeing a lot of um, uh, fraudster organizations um, legitimately access accounts where things do look pretty decent and they sit fairly dormant on them and they perform not completely dormant, they perform you know some some smaller level of transactions. And what, what they're waiting for is um, that they've got enough accounts that they can um, uh, they can essentially uh, perform a, a more coordinated attack at the same time to withdraw a decent amount 
uh, at the same time. So we're seeing lots of kind of zombie account setups, um, which again aren't totally zombied uh, with zero activity. They have minimal activity on them. And and again, from a fraud fighting point of view, that's a pretty hard thing to pick up, right? Um, your, your, your merchants are asking, hey, how, how do we really tell the difference between, you know, kind of these uh, almost in late, these latent accounts about to be used for attack so yeah the, the price per vertical is pretty juicy depending on, on most of these but um yeah i guess that's it's just a funny thing working in anti-fraud you, you see uh, human creativity at its best and, and working hardest there hey it's sean host of the show you're listening to first and foremost i hope you're enjoying the interview and if you are please support the show by subscribing and leaving a positive rating and review and if you want to keep the conversation going, join our community at skyfo.com slash community. Okay, that's it for me. Now back to the show. Yeah, and what, you know, you mentioned a couple of you know challenges there, but what are some of the you know, the really big kind of challenges and complexities involved in the space with trying to distinguish between like a legitimate user and legitimate user behavior and what is ultimately a fraudulent activity? Yeah. Um, so um, uh, in the kind of online e-tail case, we, we have it actually even more complicated than that, Sean. We have um, cases where uh, is their behavior, it's technically allowable, right? So we think of um, our online retail friends and uh, the surge of online returns, uh, for instance, or, or friendly, uh, you know, in quotations, friendly fraud uh, there as well. So uh, in online gambling, I'll illustrate the point even further with um, You've got uh, online poker uh, poker uh, groups where people are chip dumping to each other. <laughs> is that is that actually fraud or is it? And it's um, it's big, there's definitely a blurred line uh, between them. Um, I think our advice on both those cases, despite being completely different like uh, industries and verticals, is um, it, it is it's certainly technology. It's it is blooming hard to tell the thin line between what's intentional, what's unintentional. Um, and I think the way that we do see it uh, best being uh, solved is when the, the biggest problem is, do you genuinely, are you able to see in one place like where all this stuff is happening? So you're able to at least build some logic of pattern recognition that's going on here. Um, and in both those cases, in e-tail, we were able to kind of solve kind of a, a retail case where, um, yeah, of course they were seeing, especially at the tail end of like COVID, there was a probably quite unexplainable all online, you know, interactions blew up again, uh, you know, during the pandemic period. Um, but and so in lockstep, the percentile of returns also kind of uh, jumped up as well. Um, but what we we're seeing were if you're able to track the data, you're able to see certain repeat offenders that had massive outlier return ret uh, rates <laughs> compared. And so that definitely tips into the, hey, this is our average and our median like percentiles. But at this level, this this person's an outlier, no matter how you look at it. So you're able to yeah. kind of at least um, approach those kind of offenders and, and you know, kind of you know, at least address it appropriately. Same, same with kind of betting patterns, uh, or in, in the example I gave, online poker kind of betting patterns and and who was winning and losing in a in a peer to peer setting like uh, poker, uh, for instance. At least you're able to categorize the data, you're able to form um, an understanding based on the data what the median, what the average is, and what the highs and lows are, and you're able to take a view on kind of hey these are the outliers here that we need to address. But gosh, um, Sean, I can definitely reiterate um, the 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 kind of blur between 
um, what is fraud, what is friendly, and what is intentional or unintentional is becoming <laughs> super thin there. Yeah, yeah, I imagine. And it sounds like one of the, the powers, at least in, in the case of uh, the Sion platform, is that it can be actually customized to um, a specific product or domain so it can learn those you know, different patterns of behavior for a specific product versus just, you know, essentially approaching this problem as a, as a general problem across all domains. Uh, yeah. Um, and it was, it was actually one of the design challenges we were trying to solve from the beginning. Um, uh, so, so as I mentioned, like fraud detection has existed ever since, like I, I had the fortune of kind of entering the space since university, you know, when e-com kind of took off, uh, you know, back in kind of 2008. So it's existed for a decent amount of time now, and there's very good solutions uh, out there. But generally speaking, um, those kind of uh, solutions had tripled down on certain verticals. So for instance, you had you know, really good risk platforms built specifically for the airline industry and the same for say uh, online e-tailers and the same for say video gamers. Um, so you had like, you know, separate platforms, you had, you know, very customized kind of solutions in there um, that catered towards those particular verticals. And if you like, Seon represented when we were kind of stood up um, back just, just under six years ago, we were we were stood up as a, a framework um, platform that was actually designed deliberately to be used industry agnostically. And the view there was, again, back to, um, we were trying to build a platform that was flexy enough to take in inputs from pretty much any data source and, and to have an output that would be universally useful. And again, those two things, right? One is how do you add more net new people to your platform and you're able to assess good or bad in an invisible way, causes no churn or friction. And then two, um, when they're inside the platform, how do you look at inputs and produce an output that, that can give strong confidence of whether to reject or accept that interaction and to be used not just at checkout, which is where the classic risk providers were used, like just before a payment transaction checkout, which is way too late in the day. So our view was um, uh, you, you've got to be used at every interaction point where there's potential, in quotations, uh, risk. And so if you like, Seon represented like a new way of um, addressing those two universal challenges. And, and as you said, they're done in a totally agnostic way across, uh, you know, uh, whether you're in the travel industry, whether you're a gambling platform or whether you're a, uh, a bank online. Um, and, and, that, and that's, you know, our customer base kind of reflects that as well mm-hmm. as used across all those. So how did all this start? How did Sion uh, sort of get get a start uh, with uh, sort of looking at this problem in a different way? Yeah. Um, so so the origin story of Sion, um, uh, I think, harks to kind of like I guess kind of uh, uh, the, the classic pro- when it's when you're scratching your own itch. Um, so so the two young co-founders, um, Tamash and Benza, um, uh, they they were. In their last year graduating out of a, a really good university out of um, Budapest, Hungary, in Europe. Um, and the, the actual plan uh, w- wasn't um, a, a fraud detection. It was actually to launch back then. It was, uh, it was one of the first crypto exchanges um, in Central Europe was actually the the, the objective. <laughs> and they, they, they launched, uh, which was really cool, they launched. Um, and then to them, in the first days of being open, 
they were immediately, they were one of the first to offer in the region uh, fiat exchange for crypto. And as you can imagine, that's pretty um, attractive to anyone wanting to um, uh, exchange stolen credit card information for for untraceable money. Um, and they were they were they were sought after and smashed by fraudsters, you know, within the first couple of days of being open. And for, for those guys, like Tamash and Menzo, they, they, they immediately had to turn around and start looking for help. And, and that's what they, they, they found. They found amazing technology out there. But what they couldn't get was something that they could actually understand how the product worked. So like transparency into what the product actually did. Two, they couldn't get anything up and running in less than, um, at best case scenario, a few weeks, if not months, of going live. And by that time, their platform would have completely burnt down. Um, so, so for those guys, they had to hack together essentially the, the crude beginnings of some of, our, some of our tech stack to be able to identify at the registration stage stuff that was already looking sketchy. Um, and, and through a, you know quite a few iterations, obviously, of hacking together tools that would be able to discern good from bad on their own kind of use case. Um, they, they started getting really good feedback from within the, the rest of the crypto platform um, kind of uh, space and, and you know, uh, forward a few more months and they, they recognized and pivoted actually to actually providing anti-fraud tools instead of the crypto platform itself. So, so um, yeah, like, like they were very much scratching their own itch at the beginning and, and not because there wasn't, you know, tech out there, but the, the issue was there wasn't tech that was a... Um, fast enough to get up and running, and then two, um, kind of understandable and transparent, whether that was pricing or contracts as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of the classic uh, like startup pivot. You uh, you're, you start on one thing, you have a problem internally that you need to solve, so you can't find the solution to it that you know, quite fits your needs, so you build it, and then you realize, oh, this is actually a better business than maybe where we started out with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, uh, f- fully and a hundred percent. And I think that's what we've kept in our DNA. That's really core. Um, so you know, we're we're almost six years old now, um, and yeah, we're we're at that kind of um, Series B stage of venture funding. And we were we were uh, our, we were led by IVP um, in um, March last year, so just a wee bit over a year. So we're just in that deploying capital. But one of the one of the things we're very strong on is making sure that. Um, when people have that challenge of, um, hey, how do we identify good from bad on our site um, to how do we tell if stuff is you know sketchy on our platform, that people can get up and running in hours um, you know, and days, not weeks and months. So there's a, there's a real kind of strong focus on proving out that the tech works very quickly because that was the exact same as Tamash and Benz's pain uh, as well. Yeah, and I think when you know, as somebody who was you know suffering from the pain of um, some fraud issues, as the person on the receiving end of that, you're also looking for a solution that you can implement quickly because you just want to solve the problem essentially. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, who who wants to go through like three rounds of discovery meetings where you see a slide deck and you you can't you can't solve your problem yet, right? <laughs> let, alone, let alone a multi-year contract uh, to tie you in about experiencing value very quickly. Um, so yeah, that might have worked. Um, you know, kind of uh, in the in the kind of maybe beginning of the pandemic, but now nowadays in this macro, uh, all of us, I'm sure you guys too, um, the CFO is looking over at every line item being spent and 
needing extremely fast justification for why do they you know invest or spend you know those marketing bucks right yeah absolutely and then for individuals out there or even for businesses that you know maybe maybe that aren't ready to implement Sion uh, or, or they wanted to kind of try things themselves what are sort of the best practices that they might be able to follow or that you recommend for improving you know security posture or minimizing the risk of you know falling victims of sort of online fraud issue yeah so um probably a couple of things there one is education is massive to all of us um, and and in fact us as a scale up we believe in it massively as well both on the consumer side both on the business side and both on um, the ecosystem side as well um so if you like um that, uh, lo lots and lots of very, very good resources out there, first of all, especially a lot of the open source uh, material and Electronic Freedom Foundation, EFF uh, kind of material as well. Um, from Seon side, um, you'll see we have a, quite a top heavy uh, marketing team, and that's because we believe in the power of giving out knowledge uh, to this. So, um, it, you know, one of the things that we, we, we've strongly believed in is like, giving away as many answers as you can and guides. So again, back to the whole, you know, keep like sharing information and answers uh, as generously as possible uh, to it. So you'll see a lot of like um, the say on resources and our resources, you know, have a lot of like um, media in there, podcasts, uh, a lot of like guest slots with, we've had the FBI on our show, uh, for instance, sharing some of their, you know, kind of top tips. Um, Th through to um, and then the last thing on sale side is um, we, you know we're one of the the kind of few kind of like anti fraud companies that has created a a free forever uh, like version of their product and um, so if you this is perfect if you're trying to prove out an internal POV or if you're like a you know kind of a, a nascent kind of online startup and uh, needing to kind of you know think about this at the early days you, you can literally you know try for free and remain a a free for life kind of customer and um, it, it, you know it, it, yeah it's kind of a, a heart of what we believe in, in as well is sharing that knowledge and and the tech uh, you know to help yeah so it sounds like you know i think uh, education is a big part in collaboration information sharing between you know businesses industry associations maybe you know law enforcement agencies you mentioned the fbi as well are there sort of notable initiatives about you know this kind of information sharing to help educate the market on the the challenges they might face as an individual or even as a business. Yeah, it's um, it's one of these. Um, if you think like um, the way we look at it is um, like wanting to share information and breaking down silos between organizations on the good guy side, say say our side, um, it is an age old thing that's explained now in practice. It's just a lot more friction and a lot more say, especially if you're in the private industry, competitive, like, um, kind of challenges there and, and, and incentives uh, from, from stopping that happening. But that doesn't exist, right? It's asymmetric, right? <laughs> On the bad guy side, that's what you see completely differently. So when you go and join and you sit in these telegram groups, um, which, you know, are, aren't even like covertly hidden, right? You can you can enter them pretty easily as, as a good guy as well. Um, and we have much of our R&D that sits uh, in some of these gray domains watching kind of how fraudsters think about the next vectors to attack. And um, 
there is no problem sharing information there <laughs> on, the, on the bad guy side. They're amazing at kind of, uh, hey, there's a new bank release and exploit on this particular brand. You guys should check it out. There, there's there's a you know unbelievable amount of knowledge sharing uh, on on the bad guy side. Um, so it, it's it's an internally tough one um, from from the the good guy side. Um, you know, and it's based off things like market dynamics, and, and that's really tough. Um, but you do have, you know, we're big proponents of open source community. We're big proponents of things like the um, OSINT kind of practices, where it's looking at specifically what you can gather publicly, because a lot of say on stack is not built off um, being able to look at say level two or level three kind of private information, that kind of stuff will get you um, you know, in trouble uh, with the data authorities. Uh, we're out of the EU, so it really, uh, helps that we're GDPR compliant by design, uh, as well as the necessary ISO certifications for security. Um, but so so everything we look at as a technology uh, scale up and business is it is the open information that. And the best analogy we like to make is um, actually good, you know, effective human fraud fighting teams are probably doing some form of what Seon does, albeit highly manually. Um, so, so we'd be the equivalent of like control C and control Ving, like uh, say, shot Sean's name into some of those platforms just to see what the heck turns up. But all we can ever get back is the, what you allow to be publicly returnable as well. So I would definitely give a shout out to kind of the uh, you know a ton of the open source initiatives uh, as well as kind of OSINT methods um, from an education point of view. But but bear in mind that's underpinned by the asymmetry that we face um, for information flow versus say the the kind of you know fraudster or or kind of bad guy community there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds like uh, they're doing a good job with the information sharing. Uh, so, you know, in your opinion, what does the future of fraud prevention and, and maybe even fraud look like? And you know, what role might things like generative AI play for both sides? Obviously, there's a tremendous amount of innovation going on in that space right now. And I imagine both in fraud prevention and those who are interested in exploiting uh, you know, systems from a fraud standpoint are both looking at these technologies as a way to uh, help uh, amplify their work. Yeah, and in fraud detection, it was, it was one of the first pragmatic and practical applications of AI, right? With, you know, the advent of neural networks, it really was the a perfect use case how to spot patterns and auto suggest correlation and suggested actions based off data so the the advantage of fraud detection is it's had that capability in there from day one because it was really how how that's how any kind of online fraud detection can be scaled um, and then to today's world around gai um i i think i think it's something that Salem believed in the beginning um i think in when in, like fraud detection about 15 years ago um, the type of artificial intelligence deployed the strain of it was very um, it was known as black box AI um, and it was you know by far the most widely deployed kind of strain of AI um, and, and it definitely has its advantages the downsides of, of black box AI is there's little to no explainability sadly you don't understand why that risk score got its score, and thus you can imagine um, your frustrated end consumer 
on some sort of customer line, not understanding why their online application for whatever product or service uh, just got declined. <laughs> and then the, the poor call center agent not really knowing either, right, when they look up their system. So that's the challenge with that black box AI model, like lack of explainability and initiatives like out of the EU, um, you know, we, we're, you know, we're, we're definitely heavy handed when it comes to regulation at times. And But in this certain example where there's a real push for explainability and it's built into some of our banking kind of uh, technology and, and, and legislation moving forward, it is actually a forward step. And I think the rest of the world kind of will will follow that. So so Seon was one of those early adopters where our strain of AI was, um, uh, if you like, the opposite of it, a white box model. Um, so. so I think that kind of helps with the explainability because the design of it, you can fully understand why a score reached the score. And so any any needed parties can can understand that as well. But um, when you ask the question, hey, what does uh, kind of GAI like lead to in the future? I think it's an evolution of kind of what we believed in from the, the beginning. Like good AI application is not designed to replace humans. Um, it's designed at best to supplement and be a really helpful sidekick that can do stuff that human brains aren't designed to do, i.e. sift through tons of data that a human mind can't hold, uh, you know, an instance unless you're a small. Um, but it, that's the point of like really good GAI is to act as like a hyper smart um, buddy uh, to fraud fighting teams. And that's what we believe in wholeheartedly is, is um, yeah, the, the kind of way we've tried to build Seon is designed to help those hardworking fraud fighting teams just become even more effective um, and even more um, uh, efficient at what they do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think um, I think what you, you mentioned there about how things like online fraud detection and fraud detection was one of the first Right, you know, sort of practical applications of AI, which makes a ton of sense because there's just a lot of data to process, a lot of you know pattern recognition to be involved there to, to understand and and uh, essentially differentiate between what a legitimate user is and what a, a fraudulent user is. And you know, as we start to to wrap up here, is there anything else, Jimmy, that you'd like to share? Um, yeah, I, I actually just remembered like a, la- a last comment um, there, Sean, with. I think it's important to comment also from what we've observed on the on the uh, the other end, the the fraudsters end as well. So you know, as we the you know as we as a as a as a you know society benefit from you know kind of advance in in um, you know G, you know you know literally GAI becoming better and better and more you know useful. Um, I, I would say so do fraudsters. <laughs> so so we, we are absolutely seeing this you know this kind of. Uh, arms race on the other side where it used to be the case you know 15 years ago you had to be you know at least a little bit technical on uh from an adversary point of view to use the technology but gosh in the last kind of five six years we've really seen the growth of um the crime as a service essentially so the equivalent of like SaaS, but for criminals right and now it's people with will, people with resources, and people with network capability that are taking advantage of, you know, services just like all of, all of us use legitimately in the business world, in SaaS stack world, or marketing sa- or MarTech SaaS stack world. Um, they, they are pressing buttons and able to subscribe to monthly, you know, kind of uh, uh, hosted cloud services to perform very specific niche uh, services. So, um, 
that's just an observation and, and something that a lot of our fraud fighting teams are spending time monitoring as well. And it, it, it's kind of one of those sucky sides of as technology advances, just recalling that it also does the same. In fact, it's often propagated by the other side because there's a, there's a there's an even higher financial incentive on that side to push the boat out and and evade. Uh, you know, there's no there's no GDPR and um, uh, ISO certifications needed on that side of the the fence. Yeah, they don't have. They're not facing the same uh, restrictions that a legitimate business is facing, and uh, they're able to, you know, take advantage of whatever tools and technologies are going to allow them to, to essentially, exploit people faster and, and better and at scale. Yeah, and invisibly, right? So you know, back to the core problem: how how the heck do you tell the difference between someone that's human that might be just doing something suboptimally, to someone that's got nefarious intent? And that's really, you know, what the, what I guess kind of scale ups like ourselves are obsessed over as well. It's a universal question, um, and you know, it's it's what we kind of live live and breathe for. Well, Jimmy, I want to thank you so much for being here. I, I found that really fascinating. There's so much to kind of dive into the space, and I think it's something like had you had mentioned that it's important for all I think businesses and individuals to take a little bit of time to educate themselves about what people are doing in the fraud space so that they don't become uh, you know, a victim. Yeah, and if I can give a shout out on that, um, and the best ones we found is when um, we did a couple of podcast seasons um, where the by far the most popular and, and compelling were when we, uh, we, we, we threw a number of series and managed to get hold of uh, a fraudster, active fraudsters, and they, they were sharing in little bite-sized nuggets what their psychology was, what their tactics were, what their tools were, and some of even like their motivations for it as well. So I'll give a shout out to anyone to ha- have a check out of those podcasts if you're, if you're wanting uh, uh, kind of an insight into the other side as well. Yeah, awesome. I will definitely, I'll get those links from you and I'll include those in the show notes. But thanks again and cheers. Thanks for being here. All right, great to be on. Thanks, John. Cheers now.